no Mickey show. Momentarily for class solidarity Cash circulating, give the masses back its currency Greed from elites, oligarchs stay fed Deep state, faith fed, everybody break bread Racism, homophobia, sexism, religion And it's melted by we live in time to build a new system Unionize labor rights, highlight the issue Talking heads left is best, the saga continues Continues. The No Mickey Show Hey everybody, it's that time. Tomorrow I'm being sentenced after being in house arrest for two years and two months, unlike any other lawyer in American history. I'm not going to lie, it's a tough night for me and my family. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know if when I walk into the courthouse in the morning I'm going to be walking out after the sentencing hearing. I think I will be, but I'm not 100% sure. But I want to say this, we built tremendous momentum. This week, the United Nations ruled with a ruling of five international jurists that my entire detention is, is arbitrary and illegal, and they ordered the U.S. government to release me and to pay me compensation. Now, I don't know if Judge Preska is going to pay attention to that decision or not. I think there's other reasons she should release me, that I've now served eight times the longest sentence ever given a lawyer for my offense. But we're feeling good going in. We have a lot of momentum. If things don't work out tomorrow and Judge Preska remands me to jail, you're not going to be hearing from me for a while. It might be a day or two until the appellate court steps in, or it could be months until I serve my entire sentence. I have no way of knowing. So if you do not hear from me, know that behind closed doors, I will be thinking of you, thinking of all of the support, thinking of our movement, and knowing that hopefully when I get out, we'll be able to pick up this work even stronger than we are now. I'm going to need people to pay attention to our elected representatives to call out Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Merrick Garland, my elected representatives, Jerry Nadler, Chuck Schumer, Kirsten Gillibrand. They need to pay attention. They need to be forced to pay attention to this human rights violation. So just understand how much, how appreciative I am of all the support and the love and the messages. Um, we're going into more hopeful, respectful, and hoping that Judge Preska will do the right thing and release me for time served, given the extraordinary length of time I've been in my home. Thank you very much, and hopefully you'll be hearing from me after sentencing tomorrow. Hello, and welcome to the Nomiki Show. I am Nomiki Konst. It is Friday, October 1st, uh, the day that Stephen Donziger is facing his judge, Judge Preska, uh, in sentencing for the case that he describes. Uh, Stephen, of course, has been on the show. We interviewed him in early spring of this year, uh, and we interviewed him just a few days ago for Rockfin, for Rockfin Exclusive. Uh, and Stephen was this morning, we we just arrived back um, from 500 Pearl Street in lower Manhattan, uh, where there was a rally outside of the courthouse uh, in which at this very moment, he is probably sitting in that courthouse about to face what is going to be his sentence. Uh, this is an unprecedented case. He's a lawyer for decades. His lawyers have been defending people like Nelson Mandela, other human rights uh, uh, you know, warriors and heroes for decades. And they have never seen anything like this before. Um, Stephen, of course, represented indigenous, in, in, dozens of indigenous people in Ecuador in the Amazon, where Chevron, who bought out Texaco, uh, but Texaco had leaked, intentionally, negligently leaked 
oil into the Amazon because they wanted to save a few bucks a barrel. They didn't care. And of course, uh, the courts in Ecuador and in Canada found that they were liable. And they were, there was a judgment, a demand for them to pay. This leak was negligent. And why is that different? Why is that important? Because think about the other big leaks, Exxon Valdez, uh, the Gulf oil spill. Those were not negligent. Those were accidents. You know, you, we could argue whether it was just for them to be drilling there at all, but they were accidents. Yet those oil companies still paid their fines. Chevron is not. What did Chevron do? Chevron decided to wage a war and use Stephen as an example so that other lawyers and other activists would not use their voices and their privilege, frankly, to defend those who do not have the same megaphones and the same power so that they would not use their power to courageously defend those who are more vulnerable to these types of attacks. Hundreds of indigenous people have died challenging big oil and major corporations in the last few years. But of course, countless others have died because of the consequences of these leaks, because of the oil that has seeped into the Amazon, has seeped into the water supply whether water protectors or, or people who've lived there for generations, decades, or have other illnesses as a result of these leaks. This is why we have human rights law. This is why the international community, post-World War II, some semblance of the international community decided to come together and say, some things, some things, we just don't, we just don't cross the line on those things. That there was some semblance of of human rights law. Of course, murders still occur. Of course, uh, the environment is being stripped. It obviously depends on what government uh, presides over those disasters and what type of law exists in those countries. But in the United States, there's we have an incredibly imperfect legal system, incredibly biased legal system. We don't have to tell you that cover that every day on the show. But this is unprecedented. Stephen has been under house arrest for over two years. His own congressman on the Upper West Side, Jerry Nadler, is mum. This is quite a moment. If you think about today, today is the day that we are talking about the infrastructure bill, which is possibly the most important, vast, sweeping piece of legislation in generations. It is the largest spending bill since the New Deal. And there are two people holding it up, in the Senate at least. Of course, Cinema and Mansion, which we will talk about later on in the show. We are in the middle of a pandemic where there's misinformation being spread everywhere, disinformation. We are in the middle of, of an economic spiral, disaster, climate change, climate change is here. Talk about that later on in the show, how those under 40, scientists around the world said, you're not gonna see great stuff in your lifetime. It's not gonna look pretty. So if you think about this moment, in New York City, let's just talk about New York City. Stephen Donziger lives in New York City. He's an attorney. 
He's a well-respected attorney. He has world-famous human rights attorneys defending him. The UN, Amnesty International, have come together and said what is happening to him is unjust. The legal system in the United States is supposed to prevent conflicts of interest. There are actual rules on the books where people can be disbarred and be removed from being a judge. This judge should have recused herself. Instead, she decided to check off every single box from being prosecutor to selecting judges to being the judge and then giving him a punishment which is unprecedented in the history of the United States. And yet here in New York City, where we're supposed to have some of the most progressive lawmakers, one who happens to be Stephen Donziger's congressman who's in the progressive caucus, Jerry Nadler, their mom, because they don't wanna take on big oil. Well, let me tell you something, if you're not going to take on big oil, when the streets of New York are being flooded, where 12 people died because of floods overnight, like literally in an instant, that they couldn't escape their basement apartments? When you see in your own district, the subway is being flooded to the roof. If you are not going to speak up now, then when? Then when? So I, using my megaphone, as a New Yorker, as an activist, as an organizer, as a New York activist organizer, and of course a host, I am asking you, Congressman Jerry Nadler, the least you can do in this moment to show your progressive, you know, street cred is to say, is to stand with the United Nations and the international legal community and say, you know what? This is too far. Now, of course, you guys can do the same thing. Uh, if you are not already supporting Stephen, you can check out, we have, we'll have a link in the bio here where you can check out ways to join this campaign to keep raising awareness because we don't know what's gonna happen. Uh, by the time you watch it, we might know. We are pre-taping, of course, it's midday here in New York uh, and he is in the courtroom as we speak. So I just wanted to remind everybody that this case goes on and it is what we believe is a new set of tactics being used against activists. They use legal uh, cases, corruption. They want to tie people up in legal fees and, um, you know, pull them away and send a message. They do this. They've done it against the squad, members of the squad. Uh, you know, the right wing likes to file complaints and lawsuits and allegations because they want leftist leaders to be basically um, scared off. And, and they also want to tie them up uh, financially by having to pay lawyers and with time and psychological damage. Uh, they can't do some of the things that they used to do in the old days. They still do them in other countries and they still do them to people who don't have the same, uh, you know, they're not known as much. They don't want to make martyrs out of these people, but they are. That's the funny thing. They still are. So please join this campaign and call your lawmakers, your Congress members, especially if they're uh, in the Progressive Caucus, and urge them to speak out because this, this has to stop. If you can't stand up to big oil in the middle of a climate disaster while your, your, your district is, is literally drowning, then what are you even there for? All right, we'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. 
Margaret Rolicky is a contemporary mixed media artist based in Brooklyn, Connecticut. In 2020, she was awarded a Connecticut Commission on the Arts and was also awarded grants for public art projects as a creative art, arts workshop, excuse me, in New Haven and the Town Green District in New Haven. She will have a residency at Governor's Island, New York City, through the organization for heads from mid-August 2021 until November, that's of this year. Uh, very exciting because she's been uh, featured in The Nation recently, specifically discussing the USA's gun buying spree. Yeah, but she didn't know that one. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but she has focused on all sorts of, of different social social justice issues, including gun violence, racism, global warming, and the assault on truth, which, oh man, <laughs> can't wait to hear her thoughts on that. Margaret, thanks for joining us on The Nomi Key Show. Sure. Thank you for having me, Namiki. Great to be here. So um, this is very exciting because, uh, you know, as a New Yorker, uh, arts have, have yeah, for, for those who've never, you know, been in New York or haven't lived in New York before, um, or have only been living here the last few years, I have felt like the the artistic energy of this city kind of zapped from from the life of the city. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that this city is is unaffordable. Uh, the cost of living has just skyrocketed and you know artists, you know, shocker, don't make millions of dollars a year, generally speaking. Um, and so to see this type of investment in places like Governor's Island, especially around social justice issues, I, I think is extraordinary. So I guess the first question I have for you is um, how do you feel having the the ability to uh, raise awareness uh, around certain issues in a place like New York where, you know, there there's so many people watching and listening. It's absolutely wonderful. There's this organization, foreheads.org. They've been involved at Gov their artist-run organization. They've been involved in uh, at Governor's Island having art fairs for over 10 years, and they are just really there for the artists. And what I love is I started a residency in August, that goes through November, I was able to build a large outdoor piece, which is made of spent shotgun shells. They were all shot at a range um, in Connecticut, not by me, but a friend. And I made this whole house, and what it's beautiful colors, and it's outdoors. So if you're you're go to the island, which is like such a beautiful oasis. Um, you can just walk around and see a lot of outdoor pieces. This is by Colonel's Row. Um, but anyway, I just, I just love Governor's Island because two other times I participated in art fairs there. And I just thought that the audience that shows up, it might, it's not always the art audience. It's just people out for almost like a vacation on Governor's Island. And what's wonderful about Governor's Island is just recently, just in the last week, they decided that it can be open year round because usually it closes October 31st, but it's just lovely. I just love that cars really aren't allowed and we, you get like little kids learning to ride their bikes and things. But anyway, I feel like the foreheads, which is uh, Jack Robinson and, and Nick's, Nick's um, I'm not sure if I pronounce her name right, so I'm not gonna say it right now, are just amazing supportive artists who have started this foreheads organization and they have a community of artists who are working in their studios in these old buildings and like kind of supporting each other. And there's also more organizations that have moved to the island. The Lower Manhattan Cultural Center now has a um, space there. There's the Shandankin Project. So 
I just feel like it's really a hidden gem in the city. And, and for those who aren't from the city, I mean, this is literally an island that, you know, Manhattan is, of course, surrounded by, by water. Uh, it's, it's surrounded by the Hudson and, and the East River and, you know, a little piece of Atlantic, I guess you could say. Um, and it, it is off the coast of Manhattan. It's between Brooklyn and Manhattan. Um, and and I think I think sometimes people who are not in the city don't know that there's these little islands like Roosevelt Island and Governor's Island. And uh, but of course, there's a major uh, concert there now. So I think folks might be a little bit more aware of it. Um, Margaret, I mean, why did you choose this piece? What, why did you choose to focus on on the gun addiction that our country has? Um, well, I'm a mother of four children who are kind of grown up now, but I actually used to live uh, 15 minutes from Sandy Hook, where the horrible killing took place in Newtown, and I actually knew one of the grand one of the grandparents child who was killed. It was just horrible, absolutely horrible. So I just, I think I always was, you know, for gun control and against gun violence, but I, that kind of got me going and I just started doing different pieces. I had, I had made a piece when we went to war in Iraq and uh, called weapons of mass destruction. And I brought it to it. I made this pink perky sign four feet by eight feet and brought it to a shooting range and uh, it was shot by people and I was like okay and then I made it into this beautiful glowing light box anyway I got all these spent shotgun shells there and I kind of just had them also in my studio when I was doing other pieces and all of a sudden I started stringing them together and a curator saw that and said wow that's cool I want to show this piece and I found like the actually the spent shotgun shells come in all different colors and they're they're kind of fascinating. Um, so I feel like they are beautiful and sort of draw people in, but then they get something else going, like a you know, a conversation on, even if it's a responsible gun owner, just sort of like, oh, what are those? What's going on? Oh yes, I lock up my gun, or it just gets conversations going. And I actually was involved with an organization called unloadusa.org started by uh, Jim Himes um, Jim Himes who is a, is, is a uh, Democratic representative from Connecticut, his wife is involved in the organization and uses art to create conversations on guns and gun violence and basically I was involved in a gun buyback in Hartford, Connecticut and then artists got we got the gun, there was a gun buyback, the guns were destroyed, but made into small pieces. And then artists got these pieces and we did a show in New Haven, Connecticut. That was really amazing because of, we had all these talks around it at the Eli Center of Contemporary Art. And we had doctors come in, nurses, emergency room workers. And they were like, some of these people who are shot are shot more than once. It's like, the big, the big things like Sandy Hook, we are all like, oh, little children, it is horrible. And those kind of shootings, mass shootings are horrible. But the regular gun violence every day is what's really killing our communities and really tough. So anyway, it just seems like a, it's just is something that I feel passionate about. And I can continue to create art on that issue. Um, have you had sort of a, like an international response to, to these pieces? Because, you know, what I, I, I always find interesting is when you go abroad, um, at least from maybe it's because I work in politics, but 
people are always like, what's up with your gun issue in the States? Yeah, I mean, uh, I haven't really shown the pieces outside of the U.S., but yes, I I lived in London for three years, and it's like, policemen do not carry guns. It's like, it's like there's just too many guns. I mean, I think if I had a gun, I don't have any guns, but it's like you get mad at somebody, you want to just throw a plate against the, at them. But if you have a gun, you might, you shoot your family members and people you know are the ones that get shot. And it's so many times, it's just like, you know, somebody's angry and it, that happens. Or in communities, you know, where guns are just rampant and cops have guns, so other people think they need guns. I mean, it's out of control in America right now. It's just too much, I guess, especially during the pandemic. There's been a huge rise of people buying guns, whether they think they have to defend themselves against law violence, you know, protests. I don't know. Right. And, and of course, the suicide um, epidemic as well. It's, it's uh, the number one cause of, you know, use of guns and gun violence is suicide. And of course, the mental health issues. Um, because we don't have a proper healthcare system in our country. <laughs> um, and of course, during a pandemic, it's, it's on the rise. Um, I, I love that you also touch on, on issues regarding truth and disinformation. You know, this is obviously really front and center right now uh, with the pandemic. And, you know, just a couple of days ago, uh, Google announced that they were banning YouTube channels that were sharing misinformation around the pandemic. Um, but I think, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's a reflection of a greater issue that we're dealing with in society. So can you talk a little bit about how you've used that in your work? Um, well, I was really angry when, when Trump became president. So I kind of started, I was just, there was so much misinformation out there and I have relatives who believe it. You know, I've had, I've had conversations and arguments uh, where they do not believe that the election, they still think the election was stolen. And it's just like maddening. So I guess I just started doing, even though I'm, I'm angry that I did these pieces because I used Trump's face and I'm like, why did I do that? But I did a bunch of pieces where I had signs, I would go to, I had signs, I had the word liar across his image and um, I guess mostly it's been, mostly I've done things about that Trump and lying and then the kids in cages. I really got upset about that and like the misinformation about immigrants. Um, I, I'm involved with a refugee who came here um, from Rwanda, although she had fled the Congo and had lived in a refugee camp for years. And I'm like, all the refugees that I have met, uh, you know, they're here to make money. They're here to work hard. And it's like the misinformation that goes out. It's just, it's so, it's so maddening that people believe this stuff. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. I, I, I've done a few things about the insurrection. I'm actually, I was shortly after the insurrection of, of January 6th, I was down in um, Savannah and I started doing rubbings where that's where you take a piece of paper and you kind of rub a sign or a 3D image. I've actually been doing that at Governor's Island because there's so many historic signs about the wars that were there, the different, you know, whatever, not wars, but just different, um, the Coast Guard was based there and the different history and how Governor's Island was stolen from the, or 
what for beads from the Indians, you know, Native Americans. It's crazy. But anyway, what was I saying? So when I was in Savannah, um, there are a lot of historic signs about the um, Civil War, and I was able to rub different words off, and they were like, insurrection, this happened. And so I used all those same words and made them into a, a project where I used cyanot a cyanotype, which is a photographic process similar. You kind of use these transparencies, and I kind of got into that during the um, pandemic. But basically, yeah, I've been exploring ideas of liberty and justice and that kind of thing. I also, at Governor's Island, if you happen to go there, uh, through the end of October, I have a large banner that I made using the, because you can see the Statue of Liberty from the island. So I have the Statue of Liberty, but I also have the Statue of Liberty kind of falling down and, you know, I Word, I use words a lot in my artwork, so words about the wall and that kind of thing. So I, I've also been taking these tiny little Statue of Liberty um, trinkets I got and I painted. Some have guns on them, some have other things. And I'm actually putting them all through Governor's Island in different spots. Um, and some are falling down because I feel like, you know, our, our ideas of liberty and justice aren't really coming through in the way that we as Americans say that we're all about liberty and justice for all. I think we're about liberty and justice for the elite. On, on the day that we're fighting off this vote uh, for, you know, of course, yeah, exactly. Um, so in terms of climate change, I mean, this is like, you've picked some issues that are, are front and center and, and existential, but, but climate change in particular, um, I mean, it's, it's interesting because you're using your art to, to to push through this disinformation, something you just were talking about, how there's, uh, you know, people live in these bubbles and they don't necessarily understand that, no, the election wasn't stolen and the insurrection was unlawful and terrorism, an act of terrorism. But, you know, people live in their little bubbles because they're online reading the content from their friends and their family and people who think like them. And it's just reinforced. But when you're walking down the street and you see a piece of art that breaks through your bubble, it's it, it can be transformative. Uh, but climate change is a perfect example. I mean, what, the fact that like every you can't escape it everywhere on this planet, basically this summer, everybody was 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 faced with the consequences of climate change. How was your art, uh, you know, trying to break through what is clearly right in front of us? You know, I feel like I haven't so much addressed actual climate change, but I should. But I also, but the spent shotgun shells, those are kind of like an environmental waste because sometimes they're just shot and left and they have uh, the gunpowder in them and lead and that kind of thing. But I feel like though. Climate change is very important to me, but so far in my work, I have not found a way that really addresses that issue. Although I believe in Governor's Island, like just being there and have the, I think they're, they're working with a lot of different groups to try to, you know, save the harbor and in New York and stuff. So that brings you really close to that organization, I to that topic. I believe there's a... Um, there's an art residency called SWALE, S-W-A-L-E. I'm not positive what it stands for, but I, they're also on Governor's Island and they're all about the environment pretty much. But I feel like really you're right. We have to save the environment to even survive in this, in this world, you know? 
Well, <laughs> I think it's already here. Um, right. It's like... Margaret, super, super interesting. For those of you um, who make it to New York, go check out Margaret's piece uh, in at Governor's Island. It is in the New York City, like five borough. I don't know what borough belongs to. Do you know? New York. New York. Okay. New York. Manhattan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Spoke like a New Yorker. New York. <laughs> Sorry. I'm in Queens, so. <laughs> um, you, can Mar- take a, you can take a ferry also from Brooklyn on the weekends. And on weekdays, it's down at 10 South Street in Manhattan. I just took a ferry. I just got off of one less than a row. I came from 500 Pearl Street. Uh, and I definitely recommend the ferry system. It's, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. It's, it's our yacht system is what I like to call it. So, you know. Okay. Joe Manchin's yacht. We have our yacht system in New York City. Uh, Margaret Rolicky, <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And we will put a link up in in our description so people can check out the work and find out how to go see it in real life. Okay. Thank you so much. Great speaking with you. All right. We will be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. What a day for democracy. (laughs) What a day to mock democracy is what I'd like to say, because uh, there's a lot of mocking happening from a couple of senators and Congress members who just don't seem to care about human beings dying, human beings having a path forward, or just human beings even in their district. Uh, Laura Packard, <laughs> great, great opening there. Uh, Laura Packard is the executive director of Healthcare Voter. She's a healthcare advocate, and she's also an award-winning uh, progressive digital new media and communication strategist based in Denver, and of course in in Healthcare Vote. Voice, excuse me, uh, was founded in 2008 to organize adults with serious medical conditions to tell their stories. And the C4 is, of course, uh, Voices of Healthcare Action. This is really important, of course, in moments like this when we are trying to get certain senators and Congress members to listen to human beings and hear their stories. Because once you hear people's stories, it's really hard to run away from them. Um, but I guess you could just go run to your yacht. Laura Packard, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. A unique opening for today. I'm just feeling a little um, defeated by uh, humankind, I guess. <laughs> I'm sure you're feeling the same way. Well, I mean, those of us that worked so hard to help get uh, Senator Cinema in particular elected, and now she's turning her back on Arizonans and Americans in general. You know, it's almost like they need to have these like lie detector tests. Uh, before someone runs for office, before you join their campaign or send them, you know, thousands of dollars and, you know, thinking that they're going to be, I don't know, protecting uh, the little guy. But of course, no. Um, I want to play this clip really quick because it's it's definitely going viral and it is of Senator Manchin being protested um, by folks, you know, who who are upset at him, West Virginians who are upset at him for, you know, not standing for that. Let's let's play this clip. Let me talk if you can. Where are you all from? Anybody from West Virginia? We have, yes. West Virginia? we have a lot of West Virginians. God bless you all. But gang, we're working hard. We really are. We're going to continue to in good faith. I really. We want to get a good bill. It's a balanced bill. It's well done. And I know it won't be enough for some. It'll be too much for others. In West Virginia, you know, West Virginia is a little bit different than it used to be. 
There's a lot of poverty. What are you going to do for the poor in West Virginia? We're going to be working everything we can to create good opportunities. And we need to tax the rich. Oh, I agree with that. I definitely agree. That's the one number thing we should be doing is fixing the tax code so everybody pays their fair share. We should be also negotiating for lower drug prices. We should be doing all these things. I agree with you 1,000%. We're all on the same page, gang. We really are. Well, we have here. Let me just explain on that one. We will get to that eventually, but right now we can't even take care. It's going to go broke in 2026. Let us fix it. Repair that part. We're taxing the rich. I agree. We're going to make the rich and the famous pay. Non-discretionary, basically non-defense. Just enough. as much. Clearly just as not much. enough. Do you know we pay? Let me just give yeah, you all but, this. But I'm just I'm, saying we can afford. If we can afford know, this. Let me just tell you. Let me give you one little bit of the information. Wait, I got one little bit of the information for you. The Republicans are likely to take over. The Senate. We don't. This is like this is our one chance right now to pass. The, the legislature. If we don't do it, do it right, do you think they won't be filling so they take over? If, if you don't pass this, we're going to. Yeah, lose they're, they're not going to pass things like this for the people. They're, they're not. Let this is our this. chance. We, 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 we okay. can't wait. We, we, <laughs> so of course that that was that was a long uh, video there, but it was just it was every second watching Joe Manchin slick talk and Joe. He's good, man. He's he's good. Well, thank you to the West Virginians and their kayaking skills, because right now it's hard to get a hold of these senators. Uh, you know, um, uh, Senator Cinema just had a private meeting with a whole bunch of big business lobbyists, but uh, they're not listening to the people. So God bless the West Virginians and their kayaking skills. The kayaktivists is what I like. I, I love that they're called. That. I mean, this is this is really just such an iconic moment. I mean, we thought that Nancy Pelosi in front of the two twelve thousand dollar fridges talking about ice cream was was a moment during the pandemic um, or the, you know, the, the wine cellar fundraisers. But he's literally on a yacht. He's literally on a yacht. It's like, yeah, tax the rich and the famous. Oh, if only there was something you could do about it. Um, but again, you know, he seems to be more concerned uh, that the, the rhetoric that he is telling reporters, that he's telling Beltway insiders and, of course, his fellow senators is, you know, we don't have enough money. Um, but it doesn't seem to stick with human beings when when the Kai activists talk about what are you going to do about the poor? Yeah, West Virginia is a lot different than it used to be. It's poorer than it used to be on your watch, whether you're governor or state senator at the time or or now, of course, uh, U.S. senator. Um, but then the, the prescription drug prices. I mean, this is something that you you work on specifically. I, I'm very curious how that rhetoric lands with you, somebody who has has like fought hard. Well, it it isn't so much. Uh, to be fair, it isn't so much Mansion that's been the difficulty there, but uh, Senator Cinema, some of the other senators in big pharma states, and over in the House, uh, three Democrats: uh, Scott Peters of California, Kurt Schrader of Oregon, and Kathleen Rice of New York voted down the opportunity to lower drug prices in the reconciliation bill. So 
it's still there uh, because a different committee voted uh, on it. But uh, that's a problem that these uh, Democrats are getting bought off by big pharma and they're not listening to their constituents because this is one of the most popular things in the country, Uh, you know, across party labels. Everybody recognizes we pay more than any other country for our drugs and we have to do something about it. Um, it's interesting because, you know, it used to be that, OK, the excuse was, well, pharma's in my district. This is my industry. Uh, but someone like Cory Booker, you know, Jersey's it's it's pharma heavy. He's decided I'm not doing this anymore. And he's shockingly survived. It's like, well, he could they haven't gone after him yet. Uh, but someone like Kathleen Rice, I mean, she's she's from from New York State, Long Island. Like there's no I didn't I didn't know that pharma was big in her district. It's not just a just teaser. <laughs> and and they haven't given her so much money. But what's also interesting is all of these politicians ran on lowering drug prices. Yeah. It's in all their campaign commercials. They were talking a good game when it didn't matter. And now when they have the opportunity to do something about it, they're listening to the chamber and they're listening to big pharma over the people. So uh, we just have to be louder. What I don't understand is what is the Chamber of Commerce? Like, why are they concerned about this? Well, you would think that the chamber would recognize that uh, doing things to lower healthcare costs helps all of their businesses. But when pharma launders big sums of money through the chamber, like they did to fight healthcare reform, you know, the 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 pharma uh, lobbyists cut big checks to the chamber, and then the chamber does what they say. So the chamber supposedly speaks for American businesses, but they speak for who writes the check. That's fascinating. So. They're they're essentially building a coalition of lobbyists through different industries to fight for their their interests, even if they're not necessarily, you know, like overlapping with the same you know, interests, at least on the ground. Fascinating. And they they also want to kill the bill because uh, the bill would increase taxes on corporations as well as the wealthy. And uh, they don't like that. I thought um, Chamber of Commerce was for small businesses, not corporations. Hmm. Uh, not so much. Yeah, not so much. Okay, so so right now, um, where we stand, I mean, what what do you think is going to happen? Uh, what do you think? What's happening from the folks who are fighting for for better health care, for universal health care? Like, what are activists doing to pressure those who are standing in the way? Well, so far, the BIF, the bipartisan infrastructure uh, bill has not made it through the House uh, because progressives stood together and said, we won't vote for this until uh, the human infrastructure bill, the reconciliation bill is moving as well. And so far they've stuck to their guts. So uh, we're at a bit of an impasse, but it, it looks like it's finally forcing at least Senator Manchin to say what he wants to come to the bargaining table. Uh, I don't know that cinema has, uh, well, she hasn't been public with what she wants. Maybe she's privately telling Schumer and Pelosi and other folks, but at least publicly she's, she's being opaque. So nobody knows what she wants, but at least Manchin is starting to say what he wants, which is what we need to come to a deal. So, so, but what does he want from that deal? I mean, it's weird to say like, we need to come to a deal, but uh, so 96% of Democrats need to negotiate with you. Uh, terrorist, because that's what he's doing. I mean, that's the problem with the 50-50 Senate. And that's why uh, next year we need to do better in a lot of these states. I mean, unfortunately, uh, 
there were some places that we didn't win last time. Unfortunately, Susan Collins is still a senator. Uh, Maine, come on. Um, and uh, the candidate in North Carolina just lost by a little bit, but uh, he had some personal issues that we need to stop running the same the same stale candidates uh, and and run people that inspire, and then we can win some of these seats. Because look at what happened in Georgia; nobody thought we were going to uh, win two seats. But uh, Senators Ossoff and Warnock were a breath of fresh air, and we need more people like that running instead of uh, people that just answer to their corporate bidders. So, in terms of um, Manchin's mindset right now. What has he been public about? In terms, like, okay, so he wants a deal. Uh, reporters are finally, uh, you know, calling out the fact that he is taking money from from different interests that shocker uh, do not want the progressive uh, track to go forward. But uh, w- what does he say? Like, what are his excuses? Well, uh, what came out uh, the other day, I think, was that he wanted uh, one trillion, and so I mean, that's that's not enough. Uh, 3.5 is not enough, but it's already been bargained down from the 6 trillion that, uh, that progressives wanted in the first place, but at least there's a number out there. So that's progress. Uh, but again, what does cinema want? Who knows? And, uh, without her vote, this won't move forward because the Republicans, 50 of them in the Senate have totally checked out, are not even bothering to answer the needs of the American people. Um, in terms of like uh, Pelosi, Schumer and Biden, are you hearing anything on their end about how they're pressuring cinema and mansion and, and their growing frustrations? And obviously, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, the mod squad, too. Well, it, um, you know, a lot of this stuff happens behind the scenes and sh- you see just what comes out in the newspapers and what people are willing to talk about. But I assume that uh, not only are Schumer and Pelosi pressuring them, but I've got to assume that other senators are, too, because if if they manage, if Manchin and Cinema and some corporate Democrats in the House manage to kill this bill, uh they're turning over the House and the Senate to Republicans next year. You know, there will be nothing to run on. And understandably, why would Americans vote for more of the same when this is what they get? So this is a chance to do something and save their own hides. Right. And and their colleagues. I mean, their colleagues must be extremely furious. Like, not only are you being a pain in the ass, holding up legislation that that, that society needs that could change you know, could change the path or, or, or lessen the destruction that we're already facing right now, whether it comes to climate change or healthcare debt. I mean, it's not going to eliminate the debt for health, but, but of course it'll help us get closer to a more just society. Um, so they're holding that up, but then at the same time, they're, they're, they're putting everybody else at risk who's in a swing district, not in a swing district, who knows at this point, because the tides are shifting so quickly for Republicans to put ads on saying like, they don't care about, you know, Democrats did nothing, did nothing during the pandemic. The economy collapsed. They promised all this. And and look, it, they did nothing. Thank you so much, um, Cinema and Mansion. And, and they're not really unsafe. I, I mean, I'm personally the belief that I don't think that Mansion is safe as, as everybody thinks he is. Um, he has great name ID, but 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 Cinema clearly isn't. Oh, for sure. I mean, if I were Cinema, I'd be worried about how she's going to win a Democratic primary in Arizona at this rate, because she's way more popular with uh, Republicans than Democrats. So. 
I mean, that's something to think about. But I, I care about healthcare in this bill because I'm a cancer survivor and I wouldn't be here without the health insurance, the, the Affordable Care Act that saved my life. But not only healthcare, but all the issues we care about and the planet we live on. If any of these elected officials want their children and grandchildren to live on a, a habitable planet, they need to act. Right. Um, in terms of, of what is in this bill, can you just remind folks what is at stake here? Well, uh, in the healthcare on the healthcare front, and again, this this could be changing because again they're negotiating, but it it includes um, lowering the cost of prescription drugs, strengthening Medicare to include vision and dental and hearing coverage. Filling the Medicaid gaps so that low-income people in states like Florida and Texas and Georgia and North Carolina can finally get health care. Home and community-based services so that people with disabilities and seniors can stay at home rather than being forced into an institution for their care. Uh, expanding the uh, Affordable Care Act tax credits in the American Rescue Plan to make health insurance more affordable. Paid family and medical leave and a whole lot more. Uh, sounds like something a modern democratic society should have at this point, especially with more millionaires and, and billionaires than anywhere else on the planet. Just, just you know, seems pretty fair. Laura Packard, uh, thank you so much for joining us and for giving us a brief rundown of what's happening in Washington and, and the consequences and what's at stake. Uh, we're going to be tracking this. This is the show today. So <laughs> thank you for joining us. Thank you. All right, we'll be right back with our amazing panel. We have Laura Nashcraft here today. Uh, we're going to be talking about all this and more. Lots of funny moments, too. I got to say, at least there's a little bit of, uh, whether it was intentional or not, there's some there's some humor. Humor in all of this and seeing uh, just how hubris plays out in Washington. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. You guys know I love my CBD tincture. It helps me sleep at night. Uh, it also helps me with aches and pains, which often prevents me from sleeping a full night's sleep. I have <laughs> horrifying, I won't even, I, I, I'm like the worst sleeper in the world. Let's just say that. I like whether it's light or sound or, you know, heat or my aches and pains, um, it's a problem. But Sunset Lake CBD has truly, like, truly changed my life. Like, when you sleep a full night's sleep, your entire world, you see colors in ways that you've never seen them before. Like, I didn't start drinking coffee until I was 28. And I remember the first time I had a cup of coffee, I was like, wait, what? Wait, this is how the world runs? I saw light and sound and smelled things in different ways. That is what has happened since I started sleeping full night sleeps because of Sunset Lake CBD. Sunset Lake CBD, um, it's not just that it's a great quality product, but it is also a great company. It's a farmer-owned company that shifts crafts, craft CBD directly from their farm in Vermont that used to be Ben and Jerry's farm to your door. They have all sorts of products. They have tinctures, gummies, salves, coffee, uh, lotions, all to help with stress, aches, and pains. They're great people. Uh, the majority of their company is owned by their employees. And they're providing meaningful employment in their community, which is a rural community. So rural economies are being boosted. And then on top of all that, their minimum wage is $15 an hour. Pretty incredible. And then just, just like one more thing on top, they support independent media. 
And that's huge because it is hard for independent media, especially when they're just starting out, to get advertisers and they're doing the great work. Uh, I love Sunset Lake CBD. My family uses it. My friends use it. Uh, my mom, you know, she uses all sorts of different products. She's really into the lotions right now and the salves. Uh, the dog, Bijou, loves their new product, which is a dog biscuit with only three ingredients, peanut butter, pumpkin, and oat flour. And it chills him out so he's not stressed when, when folks leave the house and he's alone. He's just like sitting by the door. Uh, he used to just pace around and, and sometimes whine when my mom left, especially post-pandemic lockdown. Uh, yeah, so it's great. It's really good for for all the stress. And um, there's another new product out right now. They have a new tincture. And this one, you know, I love the tincture already, but it's it's a higher dosage of the CBD oil, which is infused in the tincture, along with 90 milligrams of melatonin. So it helps you get to sleep with the melatonin and stay asleep with the CBD. I'm like an expert now. So 1,200 milligrams of CBD and 90 milligrams of melatonin. And, 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 and you can get 20% off of your entire order when you go to sunsetlakecbd.com and you type in Nomi. All you have to do is type in N-O-M-I and you get 20% off of your entire order at sunsetlakecbd.com. Make sure to say that we sent you. It's important. You know how it is. Uh, and let us know, like, how, how are you enjoying the products? I hear from my family, my friends all the time, and I, I love hearing their stories. So I can show them on air. That's basically yeah, that's basically it. So I've tried everything at this point. All right, we'll be right back with Lauren Ashcraft. She's the host of the new show, Fighting Commentary. We're going to talk about this disaster that we're living in right now, the end of times. Welcome back to the Nomi Key Show. I'm trying to do a straight, serious face right now because uh, in the lead up, we wasted about 20 minutes <laughs> just goofing around. I'm not blaming anybody myself because I was definitely the lead in the in the goofiness. Um, so I figured instead of going straight to the apocalyptic news and commentary, we would start off with some more uh, sensational, you know, uh, I don't know what you would call like like internet drama commentary. And to take part in my internet drama commentary, we have the one and only Lauren Ashcraft. She is, of course, the host of the new show, Biting Commentary, on the YouTubes. Uh, and she is a former congressional candidate in New York's 12th district. She ran in 2020. She was a board member and volunteer with the Women's March Alliance. Uh, by the way, New York 12, I'm in it. That is where I was. I am like in that district right now. I feel so special. I feel so special that my former, I, I voted for her or Am I, am I supposed to say that? I endorsed her, obviously. So I did. Lauren, uh, thank you for joining us. Come on in. Oh I'm my gosh. Us. Thank you for having me. Do we have the same earrings on, by the way? Um, evil are black. Wait, you have evil eye earrings? I thought. Yes. Wait, can we zoom in? Get in, get in nice and. I'm going to get close. I didn't know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Sisters. Sisters. Nobody can send us any. Any negative vibes? Yeah, exactly. Because that's what Evil Eye does. We Take your jealousy it. elsewhere. <laughs> Do it like the rest of us. Eat it. Eat <laughs> the pain. I don't understand these people who project their issues on other people, Ben. I am like every normal woman. I eat my pain. Thank you. This is why we need to have dinner together. <laughs> <laughs> 
I agree. We're definitely going to have dinner together through neighbors. Uh, Astoria neighbors. Astoria, New York, of course. All right, Lauren. Um, I want to talk. Start off with some stuff. I I I tweeted something out. This is like a little bit internet drama, and I don't usually do this kind of thing. But I, the reason why I focus on him in particular is because he has just such a big platform, and there is absolutely no responsibility, editorial responsibility over this platform, and people are like, no, I mean, he's just an internet host. Why are you giving him so much power? I don't know. He has as much power as MSNBC does, and we have no problem criticizing MSNBC when they F up. Of course, I'm talking about Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan hosts the um, his largest podcast deal on Spotify. has a huge audience, number one uh, podcast in the world, and yet he's a Vax denier. He was a COVID denier at one point, and you know, he peddles all sorts of different conspiracy theories, has people like Alex Jones on normalizing it like he's a normal guy even though he's being sued right now um, and being held accountable for his problems, like challenging whether or not Sandy Hook happened. Uh, yeah, Joe Rolau. Oh. A lot to him. So I, um, you know, we, we, we take him on a lot. Um, he's made comments about me in the past without saying my name. He's like, that lady. Uh, and, and I tweeted something out in response to a little thing that went, um, it's still trending. Jank Uger, who's my former boss at the Young Turks, friend of Jank, appreciate Jank. I think he's a very smart person. He's also very big, like tall and muscular. I don't think people realize that. Um, I bring that up because there's this like weird thing that's happening right now on Twitter where Jank and Joe Rogan are like talking about physically fighting. I don't really understand the background. Um, and like, why, why do men? Thank you. This is it. So I, I made like, it was kind of a joke. I was like, I could beat up Joe Rogan. And instead of people like realizing I'm joking and Jenks my former boss and my friend. And the fact that I've like, I really can't stand Joe Rogan. And I talk about it all the time. People are like, oh, you're just trying to clout chase. So I just want to start this off by saying, do they ever tell men that they're trying to clout chase? I have like, I'm sorry, like clout chase. If I wanted a clout chase, I could clout chase or a lot of other things. I could show my effing boobs. Like, I could go on OnlyFans. Like, let's go through the list of things. I'm wearing a gray sweater. Oh my gosh. As a comedian, can I also get involved in Please. this fight? Yes. <laughs> yes. Am I clout chasing? I don't know. I just think it sounds fun. And I don't even condone violence, but. It sounds fun. It truly does. I think it's it's in the name of journalism and democracy. Yes. That is what I am, you know, tapping into here is that if you had the moment, listen, if we could beat up Alex Jones, if you had the opportunity to punch Alex Jones, would you? Um, that's a good question. I'd have to think about that. Joe Rogan, I would definitely fist fight. Um. Why? Why him and not Alex Jones? There's something in me. I mean, you know what? Sure. I think I want to evolve. I, I'm trying to avoid the assault charges. So I'm, I'm like, if if uh, if I can like provoke Joe Rogan enough that he swings at me first. And you sue him for every penny he's worth. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's, That's really cool. what I'm going for here um, in my clout chase. And um do I need to threaten online or how's this work? <laughs> well, I didn't threaten him. I just said I would I would beat him in a fight. Okay. Yeah, okay. But like um have you met me? Of course I would. Not because <laughs> I'm like strong, but because I'm just like I I will like eat him. 
<laughs> you know what I'll challenge? Instead of physical violence, I will challenge Joe Rogan to um, a bagel eating contest. Oh. oh, yeah, he doesn't do carbs, so you won. Uh, thank you. And I think that will resolve everything, and whoever wins gets to keep that Spotify deal. I think um, great, great deal. Thank this, you. This is perfect. You two can submit your suggestions at the Nomi Key Show at gmail.com. We'll be taking them for, till he loses his spot on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No physical violence. Um, we'll we'll do this through eating, which is really the best way to handle everything. I'm all about psychological torture and physical torture. I really think that like when there's so much at stake, um, when there's so many people being misinformed and brainwashed by this man, I mean, if you could go back and like poison Goebbels, Gobble, how do you say his name? Goebbels? Oh, yeah. Good. Goebbels. Wouldn't you do Goebbels, Goebbels. Wouldn't you do it? That's yeah. to me what this is. I don't care. That's actually like heroic. So I understand. I understand where you're coming from. Um, yeah, I think like I also have some beef with Joe Rogan because he's a comedian. Yeah. And oh, as, oh, right. I forgot who says yes. That's yes. I actually was having a really great conversation with somebody about this. Like George Carlin is kind of, for me, the epitome of uh, honesty. Like he really didn't care who he made mad. He was just honest the whole way through. And that was incredible. Sometimes he got the takes wrong. But he was, he was always honest. And with Joe Rogan, I personally am not sure if he is being honest about his takes or if he's looking for ways to stay viral. I don't know. Personally, allegedly. I think there are a lot of people who think, oh, he doesn't intentionally spread misinformation. Um, but I do find that his misinformation often echoes certain misinformation that is conveniently and coincidentally being pushed at the same time as people like uh, Ben Shapiro and the Heritage Foundation and Alex Jones. I mean, he could be getting this information from the same places, but I also think that this guy has a lot of staff and he could easily, I don't know, hire an effing fact checker because yeah. um, he's got enough money. Let's just let's just real quick before we wrap up the whole uh, <clears throat> we wrap up the whole Joe Rogan segment. Um, Let's let's this is this is what his latest thing is. And I again, this is just to reiterate, it's spreading misinformation, which is dangerous to democracy. So Joe Rogan, this is in the Daily Mail, not the highest quality publication, uh, but they go after him. They say anti-vaxxer Joe Rogan suggests Biden faked getting a booster shot on TV because if he had an unexpected adverse reaction, then it would scupper his whole plan. Is that a British thing? Scupper. Um like what? What? Like why are you? You have a, you could talk about anything, Joe Rogan. Literally anything. He could also like, probably call Joe Biden. Literally, and, and Joe Biden like, was that a rail shot? <laughs> he could call a doctor and be like, "What is that? What do you think? Why would he? What? What is the point of this? I don't know. I mean, part like the cynical part of me thinks." That he knows his base, which is large, and knows what topics will kind of rile them up. And um, as as marketing genius as that is, I also find it to be kind of evil. No, it is. It's it's totally evil. If if everybody's appealing to their base and their base grows, and these you know these beasts aren't organic, like we talk about this all the time on the algorithm. 
how the algorithm is is written by white men. And sometimes they have political um, perspectives that are very different than, you know, most people even their age. And it's been investigated at, at places like Google and YouTube and Facebook. And there have been leaks now that say, yeah, the, the, the algorithms are biased against women and people of color. And they've been called out on it and they don't want to do anything to fix it because these bases are too large now and they're, they're making too much money. But it's really dangerous for you know, if if Fox News has like more women on TV than like YouTube does and it's like top, you know, 50 political shows, maybe that's a problem. Just yeah. say that. And <laughs> like in the in the comedy world, if if a if a man and a woman go up on stage and have the same set and yeah. same delivery, there's more laughs at the guy. And I that's it's something like that might all be wrapped up in many complex reasons that i just can't stand joe rogan but number one is that his platform could do a whole lot of good but he instead uses it to spread trash that's right and it's important to say that like many of these platforms the the base has been comedy like this and now our comedians are suddenly our political hosts not no offense to you (laughs) you've actually been for office and you're actually an activist but i mean it doesn't mean that you can't be funny and be political but when, you know, you do your best to inform yourself and research and you rent for office and, you know, he's like taking on really big topics and doing like literally nothing to prepare and then also has more money than ever to be able to hire people to help him prepare. Like John Oliver, a comedian, has what as soon as he, hosted, he started his show, he hired dozens of fact checkers and investigative reporters from places like ProPublica. Like that's how you do it. OK, that's how you do it. Exactly. That's exactly. But I don't think that the facts are interesting to him or viral. They're just not sexy. Facts aren't yeah. sexy. Um, exactly. And he so I, a, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, Joe Rogan, um, instead of a fist fight, I would like to challenge you to a bagel eating contest live and on our, uh, on, on our show, on, on this show, on my show. And um, you can you can also give me uh, millions of dollars. Yeah. And then when you're done with the bagel eating competition, I'm I'm going to challenge you to fight. <laughs> Listen, I'm gluten intolerant, but like I would do a bagel eating. He wouldn't, though. He's too afraid. All right. Too much Joe Rogan for my mouth right now. Like I can't <laughs> handle him anymore. Um, speaking of facts and being allergic to facts and not caring about facts, let's talk about the, the two. Uh, and they really are elephants in the room at this point. <laughs> The two, I guess they would be 400-pound elephants in the room, 400 pounds of elephants in the room, um, of course, Senator Manchin and Senator Sinema, who are just like, yeah, but yeah, let's just like, you know, assist, aid and assist the demise of our society, like no big deal. Um, so many things that we could talk about, but I, I want to start off with a clip uh, where some of Sinema's uh, constituents in Arizona are asked how they feel about Kirsten Sinema now. And let's play this whole clip because I do think it's really informative. I'm excited. Under the lights in Scottsdale, Arizona, two of America's pastimes play out. High school baseball and a few swings at talking politics. We came to talk about Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema. She used to represent this area around Phoenix when she was in the House of Representatives. As you see Senator Cinema doing what she's doing, right. what, do you, what do you make of it? 
Lou Ziccarelli voted for the Democrat when she was elected to the U.S. Senate in 2018. The thing about it is it's one thing to go against your party, but you have to be transparent as to why and let people in your party and your constituents know why. Confusion has been a constant theme among cinema's supporters. Answers to questions like this aren't helping. What do you say that progressives are frustrated that they don't know where you are? Cinema says she's motivated by being an independent voice and supports a bipartisan approach. Cinema was elected by a thin margin of just over two percentage points. Emily Kirkland was part of an army of progressive activists who worked to get cinema elected. Kirkland says she canvassed neighborhoods, knocking on doors to turn out voters for the future senator. Where are you now with the senator? Incredibly frustrated. Just so angry and disappointed. In part because it feels like she's just doing what corporate donors want, and she's not listening to voters. Kirkland points to what happened in March when Cinema walked into the Senate chamber and with an emphatically expressive thumbs down, voted against a bill to create a $15 an hour minimum wage. Cinema said she's supported past minimum wage increases, but the March proposal should not have been tied to a COVID-focused relief bill. Still, progressive activists blasted Cinema for listening more to corporate donor interests instead of her supporters. The senator then posted this picture of herself on Instagram with a ring that said, F off. Kirkland believes Cinema was sending a message to activists like her. It seems like she kind of delights in saying, eh, voters, I don't have to listen to you. And I don't think that's an attitude that's winning her a lot of friends uh, in Arizona. What do you take away from that? Yeah, it, it tells me that she is really enjoying being in Washington and getting to be this power broker. Kirkland says she won't campaign for cinema again. She's. I'm going to guess she's going to campaign for somebody else. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I don't blame her uh, for leaving that camp. Frankly, we absolutely need to get behind a real progressive for the primary. But if I were a Democrat in her state, I, I, I might write somebody in for the general. I honestly, what's the difference between cinema and whatever other option? I really don't know. I mean, it's, it's interesting because, well, first off, she's not up for re-election this cycle. So there's some time here. Um, and I think progressives are really doing their best to organize to challenge her. But I'm I mean, it's not it's not I mean, I understand what people are flexing that right now because they want to pressure her. But I, it, my my biggest question is nothing seems to be working. She's she's you know, she is being trolled everywhere. I, I'm I have a lot of family in Arizona. I went to school there. Um, I have a lot of friends there. I started organizing, you know, professionally there like in 2006. Um, when she was in the state legislature and she was a Green Party member. Let me just remind folks. Uh, and it's it's amazing because no one that I know is with her anymore. And I mean, that is whether she's primary or not, that's dangerous for her general election chances. So I just don't understand if it's not about your constituents, because that used to be the excuse. Oh, my constituents, like they believe it. Well, actually, they don't. She's <laughs> just seeing. Um, and it's not just progressives. It's like Democrats. It's 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 centrist and democrats i heard somebody being interviewed today saying that they supported john mccain um and they're they're a democrat but they used to support john mccain and she's no john mccain they're like we don't understand why she's doing it he would come back and say he had a philosophical reason she doesn't so i don't know what her end goal is if she can't be pressured if 
she's definitely, you know, there's a potential for losing re-election primary or not. And and like she's not listening to your fellow Democrats. Like, wait, what's going on? I don't know. I think I also keep thinking about I don't care what anybody wears, but I I do notice people's body language and the one vote where she walked in and like was like bouncing up to like do the thumbs down. That that image really sticks with me as like, what are you doing here? Like this is a job that impacts hundreds of millions of people. And I don't know why you're here. Literally not taking it seriously at all. Yeah. I mean, do you think she just like meditates at, at night and is like, this is about you. It's about no, don't let them bother you. You're here to do the work of, you know, Lockheed Martin. And if you don't, then they're going to bomb your sweater collection. I don't know. <laughs> she might not even want the job, but she's so new. <laughs> like, why did you do this? Um, but she doesn't seem concerned about, I mean, she barely won last time. Yeah. So I, you would think that she would want to at least not piss off her entire base that got her there, but they're not going to show up for her. Well, what's so strange to me is when she, she won Congress in 2012, um, and, and, you know, she probably went a little bit more centrist that election. She's still running as a progressive because her district is fairly progressive or her congressional district was. Um, but, like, if you're going to do all of those things to get elected to Senate in Arizona, like, you know, move further to the right and then do this in a way that is so untapped, like she could have actually found some sort of weird, like John McCain philosophical argument for what she's doing. Um, I'm sure it's out there, but she's not. And like, yeah. to me, that seems like what you just said, like, it doesn't seem like she wants this job. Why would you go through all of that? Literally abandon the Green Party. like. All of this to be somebody who literally like nobody likes at this point. Yeah, like it's she's become very famous negatively. Yeah. <laughs> like there's who wants that? Like I can imagine like I know for a fact that there are a lot of people that really like the fame of being a congressperson or like a senator. But why would you like that if every Everyone hates you, including right. your own party. <laughs> right, right. Including your own colleagues. I mean, yeah. God, I, can't, I would love to be fly on the wall right now listening to, to what's happening in, in, the, in the halls of the Senate. Um, you know, in moments like these, it's, it's, it's sometimes uh, important to look back at history and, and think, you know, is this, is this unusual or is what's happening? Is this just how Washington functions? And CNN, um, pretty revealing, it's like Chris Cuomo show. Uh, if Chris Cuomo, I love his like I'm a turtle. He's like your in this clip. Just just before we go into it, I love how he keeps saying your party, your party to Paul Begala. I'm like, what are you? You're you're shot of Mario Cuomo, the brother of Andrew Cuomo, whose party? What? Right. Um. Anyways, so Chris Cuomo uh, has Paul Begala on, and for the kids out there who don't know who Paul Begala is, and and I know him. Full disclosure, he's actually a pretty uh genuinely like. Nice guy, I guess is the best way to say. Some of the, a lot of consultants and these people in these shows are not. He he is, um, and I'll share an anecdote afterwards. But he he was on talking about this scenario um, on CNN with like the the showdown in Washington. So let's play this clip. In terms of 
having seen this kind of thing before, Paul, uh, you were in the game with Clinton, you know about making deals. Have you had, other than maybe Obamacare, Democrats going at Democrats and seeming like they're not in the same part as we're seeing now? Oh, yeah. Look, that's the, that's the oldest game of the Democratic uh, playbook. They, we do that to ourselves all the time. I was really struck, though, Chris, in your interview with Ro Khanna. Ro is one of the smartest people in the Congress. He was a co-chair of Bernie Sanders' mm -hmm. campaign, so no moderate heat. Listen to what he did. He wasn't blasting Joe Manchin. In fact, he was respecting him. He was listening. He's, he heard the right thing. Manchin is sending a signal here. He's saying, look, I don't like the Trump tax cuts. I do want the rich to pay more. I want to spend at least $1.5 trillion is how I hear him. People are calling it a top line. I'm not sure what that means. What it is is a floor. The least that the Democrats are going to get out of this is a trillion and a half bucks over and above a trillion point two for infrastructure. This is going to be the most remarkable win for progressives they've ever had if they can just accept it. That's right. It's like he's ready to accept it. It's like take the win, Dana, right? I mean, they, they really are poo-pooing that even if the numbers are what everybody wants least, it will be the most spending since the New Deal. And almost all of it is in categories that the American people have said from everywhere on every level that they want. No question about it. But so many of the Democrats who are serving, especially in the House right now, first of all, some of them, a good number of them have not done this kind of thing before. Uh, the freshmen and even those who are in their second terms uh, were not familiar with having and haven't been in office when there has been a, a president of your own party, where you have the ability to actually get things done that you campaigned on. And, you know, for them, what they argue is we've waited too long. We've waited generations uh, and we've kicked the can down the road to say, well, we'll run on it in the next election and we'll just take a little bit now. And they're saying, we're not going to do now that. Or I mean, you, now or never also, I mean, I'm just sort of looking at Paul Begala and thinking of how far the Democratic Party has come since. Okay, so so I, I what I found so interesting about that um, was that Dana Bash was actually the one who was like, of course, they're acting differently now. They have power now. And like also, you know, the largest spending bill since the New Deal yeah, because we're in the biggest crisis since then. Yeah. Oh, and I also just, I'm, I spent a lot of time during my campaign talking about MMT and the fact that um, we, we deficit spend like there's no tomorrow on things like war. Yeah. But whenever we think about, oh, a huge percentage of the bridges that people drive over every day in the United States are on the verge of collapsing, like it's kind of a big deal and worth investing in i would think personally also something that was never controversial like prior to 2009 this was never controversial it was a bipartisan issue yeah of course let me let me tell you if this gets passed the good one it's the good one gets passed um i'm gonna guess that every republican in this country who has half a brain is gonna go home and talk about how look at this new as they did when when obama uh sent out the checks you know, the reinvestment money. They're going to go home to their districts and say, we just got you that new bridge. We just got you, you know, look at the streets, how clean they are now. Uh, you know, there's no more potholes. Uh, look at how, I mean, in, in, in big cities across the country, especially in New York, there's, there's uh, the subway, obviously. We, we know the, the issue with the subway. Um, it just doesn't make sense to me 
I think what's happening right now, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Lauren, but it seems like all of the excuses are going down the tube. Like uh, the American people are now like, uh, in, to the point where Dana Bash is like, what? <laughs> Reporters are challenging Joe Manchin's money because there's no argument that makes sense anymore when you're in this type of economic disaster and we just saw how much we spent uh on on the pentagon and we just got out of these wars it's 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 become abundantly clear to even the most jaded washington insider that like just passed the effing bill yeah it was i mean it was supposed to it was supposed to be passed the beginning of the week right and it it just keeps not being <laughs> so I mean, credit to Nancy Pelosi for for doing that because she's. It doesn't seem like she's going to back down. And because you know what else, I, I, you know, you've run for for Congress. This puts so many other people who are on the right side, on the proper side, at risk of losing their reelection in a time when we need this Democratic majority or we need to keep at least Congress together. Um, and we're not going to. We're not going to have Senate. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm. We're going into the abyss, Lauren. I know it's stressful. And I think like when did common common sense solutions become like partisan or even bipartisan? When was it anything other than, hey, let's not let our bridges collapse? Like last weekend, an Amtrak train drove off the rails and people people died. Right. So I think. Like, how is it even a question whenever you go to any other country like Germany, Japan, we we compare ourselves to those countries all the time and in every single other situation. Um, but whenever it comes to, oh, we can have the same health care as them, we can have infrastructure upgrades and trains that don't kill people. Um, it's like, oh, we don't have the money. Well, that money just went towards killing people in the Middle East for as long as I can remember. So let's let's change our priorities up a little bit. And people are getting that, I think. It's just it's what what's really strange to me is I think like you know, it's definitely tied to productivity too. Like if we're this capitalist country, you think that at least somebody would use that language to speak to the the most jaded uh capitalists, you know, out there that okay, you you want New York City to be as productive as it can be. Like maybe the subway should work. Like maybe the streets should be jammed up. Maybe we, I mean, like I was just listening to this uh, interview about Rome in particular because Rome's under austerity. Italy's under austerity, and uh, the mayor of Rome, who was elected, you know, on the landslide, is now dealing with all these issues because uh, every single form of transportation is in crisis. Like every, the, you know, the bus system. The buses have been like blowing up, like just catching on fire. Um, the subway system is extremely small there and, and basically non-operational. Uh, there are no bike lanes. So if you decide to take a bike, like, good luck. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's it's a mess in Rome. And I think this is happening anywhere you look at austerity. This is what the result is. We as New Yorkers know that very, very well. Very well. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. I want to uh, just end with this little piece. It's Femme Friday, of course, on 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 our show. And um there were some hearings on reproductive justice issues, which, you know, the fact that we are fighting the fight from 40 years ago rather than fighting future fights, which is, you know, we should be having much more holistic, in my opinion, conversations about re reproductive rights and re yes. reproductive education, even for women. 
um, so that they're aware of 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 what uh, you know what they they might go through um, throughout the course of their life, um, whether they want to have a baby or not have a baby, and then understand like the science behind it, and and of course you know pushing doctors to understand it as well. That's just like my little thing. But with that, we're still fighting fights from forty years ago. Let's play this clip. Users will sabotage their partner's birth control in an effort to exert power and control over them. Um, Dr. Moyetti, when we see that uh, that the tactic that the tactics of abusers on a personal level, uh, the attempt to control and sabotage a victim's reproductive care and control over themselves, then becomes mass adopted by overwhelmingly, frankly, cisgender male legis state legislatures. Uh, how do you see a connection between these abuse dynamics in person and how they inform uh, a culture in which they could be affirmed or in which these laws could potentially help or assist abusers in this dynamic? Yeah, so unfortunately, our country is actually founded on reproductive control and coercion of enslaved Africans and of indigenous people. So this is actually a historical tactic in our country and a method of upholding white supremacy. So that has not changed and continues today. Bam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, I like you were saying, we're it's. It's so frustrating that I don't even have the words that we're still having these fights um, when, in fact, like you said, we should be having a more comprehensive conversation about how can we prevent um, unwanted pregnancies? How can we educate um, students about how they can prevent teenage pregnancies? How can we help increase the health of uh, potential mothers? How can we help uh, increase the health of women? I mean, I had this uh, one friend recently who had uh, recurring ovarian cysts, for example, and um, just went through surgery after surgery. Yeah. And she asked, why does this keep happening to me? And the doctor said, well, to be honest, there's only been 17 studies about this in human right. history. So uh, we don't know. No, 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 that's exactly it. I mean, I, I shared this. Um, I haven't said it, shared it on the show yet, but um, I shared it on social media a couple of weeks ago that I, uh, you know, <laughs> listen, our audience is 90% male. So just listen, listen. I want you to hear this. Um, so I got my period when I was 16 years old for the first time. And from that first experience until 20 years later, I'm 21 years later, I'm 37 years old. Uh, I have been going to OBGYN and every single time I go, I say, I um, would like to know if I have endometriosis. My mother had it. My grandmother had it. Um, I have extraordinary pain around my, my menstruation, my, my cycle. More when I was younger, I've changed my diet, which affects that, by the way. Um, and every single time they said no. And it wasn't until I was abroad in Greece dealing with another OBGYN. And he said to me, he did some sort of blood test, which is not available here, I guess. And he said, okay, you have it. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> Drop the mic. But simultaneously, that affects my, if I had known, I've had a bunch of people message me saying, well, why would it make a difference if you had known about that 10 years ago or 15 years ago? And I said, well, well, maybe, maybe I would have chosen to have children. I don't know. I don't know. But I can tell you one thing now. It's a lot harder for me. Um, they don't have great treatment for it other than birth control and, and dealing with the pain. 
there are treatment for the fact that you still might develop those cysts, that you still, you know, may not produce as many eggs as as healthy eggs as other women do um, without it. And and this is how is it that we don't know these things? The doctors don't know these things. One in three women are likely to have endometriosis. This our entire the, the Republicans spend so much time focusing on the ability for women to keep recreating, and yet they don't care about recreation like what i don't understand it's just control right is that one yes yeah there's actually no words like as a personal anecdote for me um my menstrual cycle i all of my joints hurt it's like clockwork that like for a whole week before uh my period hello men out there listening all every single one of my joints hurt my my neck (laughs) yeah my neck my shoulders my fingers all of these joints everything hurts um as if I had arthritis and I was asking my doctors about that I was like what like what is it that I have it's it's more it's like you can say this happens like clockwork but like it's not called anything there's no name it's just like Lauren hurts all of her joints hurt uh one week out of every month, like she has arthritis, but it's not arthritis because no one cares. Right. Except me. <laughs> so it's just like, there's no, like you said, and we've been talking about, there hasn't been any kind of prioritization around uh, researching women's health. We've been spending so much time just talking about abortion. And when, if we focus around women's health and ed- educating women, we wouldn't even like have to have 90% of these conversations about abortion anyway, because the more educated and prevalent women's health care is for everyone. That's right. It prevents all of this. So can, okay, we, have we just team. I was, I was just going to say, thank goodness for organizations like matriarch, because we really do need more women in office. No, I mean, listen to that. The, just the commentary between um, AOC and and Cory Bush alone yep. was on. Uh, it, it was historic. I mean, no one's ever been able. People have talked about having abortions, and but the the talking about specifically with that person who's testifying, that doctor, about how abortion was used as a control mechanism against you know certain populations. It's 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 really like it's like when people find out that there are white supremacists in the police force. They're like, wait, what? I always thought I was, you know, like that uh, that awakening moment for folks. I mean, we know that on our show and people watch it, but a lot of folks just kind of figure that out, like just learned. And they're just starting to see that, no, it's not about abortion and rights. It's about abortion is used as control over women. The, the, the ability to have control over your own body or some effing lawmaker in Texas having control over your own body. And so, you know, some of this stuff is... Um, it's it, like 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 I even wish some women's organizations who do have the power to shift these conversations would actively do so. I understand there's a major fights and I don't want to 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 sideline those fights. But, you know, for instance, like organizations that say we only support pro-choice women. How about you also ask them to go out there and talk about things like, you know, funding studies on reproductive health and women's health? Because women's health is everybody's health. It's health of humankind. Yes. Thank you. And, you know, not to, to just, just, I'd like to know how many studies were put into um, Viagra. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
<laughs> that's a good that's a good stat. I'm sure it's yeah. a lot. And also yeah. that's covered by insurance. Yeah, oh, it's interesting. But you're yeah, you know it's not covered by insurance. Um my vision test, which I have to go do. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Funny. Uh Brad says Dick medicine is more important than your eyes. I feel like I've heard that before. <laughs> if I can't see, then I'm not even gonna oh, no, no. Um, so real quick, Brad, our, our producer says, I speculate that the blood test from me he got abroad wait, wasn't covered for profit for, for profit health insurance in the United States. And then he said, I just saw that, yet Viagra for men is is always covered. The blood test is actually a new blood test, so um, it might be eventually released here, probably for rich people, though. Um, anyways, Lauren, I hope your joints are not as painful this, this month. Thank you. I appreciate that. And also, I have, I have been doing an anti-inflammatory diet, which you find out through your friends who recommend it to you rather than healthcare because nobody studies women. Thank you so much, Nomiki, for having me on. That is... That is what I do too. It's an anti-inflammatory and I don't eat meat and I try to drink kombucha. So there you go. Turmeric, yes, turmeric. All these things. Just like, listen, just don't eat bagels. Unless yeah, well, fight Joe Rogan. I got to do it once for Joe Rogan. That's my battle with him. So once <laughs> in a while is okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Laura Nashcraft. She is, of course, the host of Biting Commentary. Go to, where, can, where can we check out Biting Commentary? All the places. It's on YouTube, youtube.com slash biting commentary. And I would love to have you on sometime. I'm waiting. Soon. Okay, good. I'll text you. Waiting. <laughs> Podcast listeners, I just picked up my phone waiting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who do you have on this week? Um, actually, it's going to be uh, Michaela Ridley, who's running for Congress. And she's going to be talking about the student debt crisis. But I will say on Sunday, this past Sunday, I had on a guest that has died twice, and he talked about it. So, yeah, it's amazing. We had a great conversation. Check it out. Is he was he alive when he was talking to you? Yeah, uh, he survived he dying twice. Um, and he talked about what hmm. he experienced on the other side. Oh my god, I'm so fascinated. I'm definitely, gonna yeah. Now, wow, yeah. you buried the lead. Yeah, I have to cut this part and move it up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thanks, Lord, and thank you to all of our guests today. Uh, and of course, thanks to our patrons as usual. Go check us out on Rockfin on Tuesday nights. We are doing an exclusive live show, live show on rockfin.com slash nomiki. If you can join us there, it is subscription based, but you get us you, you get access to everything. Um, and we are trying to, you know, diversify the political voices uh, on Rockfin. So if you can join over there, we're gonna be bringing over hopefully some folks um as well. It'll be fun. Uh, definitely check it out. And then last week we had, or this week I should say, we had on Stephen Dossinger, which is of course what we talked about at the top of the show. And to those of you who are patrons, I cannot begin to tell you how much we love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being patrons. And if you were thinking about it, now is the time to be a patron. Join us on patreon.com slash the Nomi Key Show. You get full access to the show in audio format and clips and special stuff as well and swag, you know, all the jam. There's there's a whole lineup. You can take a look at it. All right, guys, take care and stay in solidarity. The Nomi Key Show.
flash momentarily for class solidarity. Cash circulating, give the masses back its currency. Greed from elites, oligarchs stay fed. Deep state, faith fed, everybody break bread. Racism, homophobia, sexism, religion, and it's melted by we live in time to build a new system. Unionize labor rights, highlight the issue. Talking heads left is best. The saga continues. Continues. The No Meeky Show. Thank <laughs> you.